Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I've got an incredible guest here with me, Chris. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Looking forward to it. Oh, man. I'm looking forward to you and hearing your story and all of your awesomeness. My goodness. My goodness. Where do we start with you, Chris? You do so many different things. I'm like, how did he get so motivated and inspired in this? So I'll start you off with that for my first question. What inspired you actually to, on your path today? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question. My inspiration came probably uh, when I was 17. I said, I've always wanted to run my own business. Then I got stuck in the corporate jungle in the zoo and I was just behind the bars, but I was making a lot of money and got intoxicated with all that money they were throwing my way. And I finally said, no, I think there's more I got to do before I uh, retire and call it good. So people say it's scary starting a business. I was more scared of not starting one and then being 60 years old going, man, I just wonder if I could have. So that that really got me motivated. And then I started a, a handyman business, which is now a handyman and remodeling business here in uh, Metro Atlanta called The Trusted Toolbox. Wow. But I felt like I had more to give. So I went ahead and wrote a book called From the Zoo to the Wild, and I, I got a podcast going and thinking about what what's next. Uh, we actually have a training company where we train other home service companies as well. So as wow. people say, uh, I'm like a hummingbird. I run around quite a bit and can't figure out if I ever sleep, but trust me, I, I do sleep. <laughs> I love it, Chris. Oh, man, we've got to trace back some roots on this one. So as a kid, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I grew up in Michigan, and uh, so all I knew was the car companies. And I went to work in high school uh, as for a machinist uh, company. I started as the grunt on the, uh, on the on the labor line, just doing whatever had to be done. And then uh, the guy that I worked for said, I think you should not go to college. You should just come work for me, and, and you can do this. You can eventually run your own machine shop. And I, my dad's like, ah, I think a better idea, buddy, is that you go on to college because uh, he was the first one in our family to go to college as well. So I did that, but I've always, uh, I've always loved being an entrepreneur. I've always really admired that. My, my grandfather and my grandmother were both entrepreneurs in Buffalo, New York, uh, being the first ones born here from Italy. Having a uh, grandmother who was an entrepreneur that was very avant-garde back in the 50s and 60s, which is pretty cool. That's incredible. In the 50s and 60s, she was doing that? Yeah, yeah. She uh, had her own hair salon, but she also made, there's a, a special niche in the Catholic Church where they have these infants of Prague, and uh, there's some really fancy, ornate dresses that they put on the little baby Jesus. Well, she made them, and as I found out later in life after she had passed away, and I was uh, in North Carolina, there was one of them right there in North Carolina, and I found out that oh. she was one of the only people who made these things over the years, so these things are pretty unique, but yeah, she was uh, she was a pretty amazing lady. What? So she had her own business in the 50s and 60s. Like at that time, women weren't even like allowed to vote, right? Right. I know it's, it's you know, what? we, uh, my whole family took it for granted until I, uh, I wrote the book and then I was explaining to everybody that uh, my grandmother and my grandfather were very inspirational for me. Uh, my dad did not go yeah. uh, start his own business. He, he went the corporate route and said, Hey, I'm just going to do this because I need to provide for my family. And, and I've said that, you know, I've always wanted to go out there and run out there and see what this jungle is all about of running your own business. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so, and you grew up in Detroit. So all you knew was like the car. That's all I knew. So when you said, oh. Hey, what did you want to do when you grew up? 
I knew I couldn't play sports at the highest level, so I didn't say I wanted to play football. I did get a chance to play in college, which was cool, but I knew I was never going to make it to the NFL, so I never had those aspirations. But I, uh, I said, you know, I think I want to be an engineer. My dad was a civil engineer, so I rebelled and became a mechanical engineer. And again, I thought I would be in manufacturing and eventually run my own business. And here I am, not in manufacturing at all, working on people's houses and have 44 employees now, not doing a thing with that part of my degree, but uh, definitely solving problems, which is a blast. That is awesome. Oh my goodness. So walk me through the corporate route for you. Like how did you get into the corporate and then kind of transition out? Yeah, I think like a lot of people's careers, it's not very linear. I was all over the board. I graduated from college and I went out and got my master's degree in mechanical engineering in Charlotte, North Carolina, North Carolina, Charlotte, which is now called Charlotte, a small program where I felt like I could take some of those ideas. And I'm, I was always trying to figure out a business I could start. I got hired, got a job working in manufacturing, but it was aerospace manufacturing. So I was like, ah, man, that's really cool. It's not just cars. I'm doing planes, man. Look at me. I'm solid. And then I said, man, I got to, uh, I got to get more business experience. And, um, this is now, you know, I'm old. So to find a job back when, when I was around, you either found somebody, knew somebody, or you looked in the classified ads of the paper on Sundays. Right. And, uh, my wife said, why don't you go look at Anderson? And I thought Anderson only made windows for Anderson windows. Ah. She was no a- Anderson consulting. Yeah. I was like, oh, but I'm not a consultant. She goes, no, but they, they they train you to be a consultant. So I went to work for Anderson Consulting, which is now a company called Accenture. And I started working in banks uh, as a fix-it guy uh, using that stuff. So I got into banking, uh, which eventually led me to a, a bank in Atlanta called SunTrust, which is now Truist. And I became a commercial loan operations manager. And I was 33 years old. I had 400 people working for me. And I had left consulting and, and had that gig. And I was... Uh, I was, I was pretty successful. I, you know, I don't say that to brag. I, I say that, to, that that's what kept me going. That's what kept me like, Hey, I got to stay in here. I mean, I'm getting fed a lot of money. I've got, okay. Yeah. yeah, man. I had custom suits. I had my Mercedes. I mean, I was styling and profiling and going, yeah. And then I finally looked up and said, man, I hate what I'm doing. And I'm not starting my own business. I always said I would. And here I am 37 years old and I didn't do it. And so that's when I started my business and I left it, uh, but I built the business plan. And, but I started right in 2008. And if you remember 2008, we all do. It was the big recession. And it uh, it smoked me when I first started because it slowed me down. I figured I'd be recession resistant. And that's true. But it wasn't recession proof. There are still people who did not want to work on their houses because they didn't know if they'd have a house or a job. Right. So eight, nine, and 10 were pretty tough. Uh, as I, But I did grow through there. But I stuck to it. I had a lot of sleepless nights. I had a lot of, uh, I mean, my wife even came to me and said, what are you doing? What are you doing to the family? You know, I think maybe it's time to give it up. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to make this happen. And and here I am 15 years later, an overnight success. <laughs> I love that. Wow, Chris, that's, that's amazing. I mean, well, because where you were, you're hyper successful, right? And you got all the things, all the things that somebody would want, right? You had it right there in the palm of your hand, managing 400 people, living the dream, right? But according to what society says, right? The right. dream. I, the dream. I, I mean, uh, country club community, second home, had a boat, you know, the nice car, the custom suit, all look good from the outside. But my family tell you, I was miserable to be around. I was, uh, I wasn't happy. And I just, and I would take it out and I would be a pretty surly individual. And I wasn't as happy-go-lucky as I, I really am. A, I kind of, I wouldn't say carefree, but I like to have some fun. As one of the, one of my buddies says, I'm the angriest happy guy he's ever seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I did. You know, wow. I think that's where I really uh, dove into what a success looked like. And I said, you know, when I'm 60 years old, do I really want to say that I worked 
at a bank and did this. And I just stayed there and, and just retired and was able to have fun and take all these great vacations and do all these really awesome things. But I never knew if I could run my own business. Cause for me, that was the big mark. I really wanted to see if I could. And you know, they say that nine out of 10 businesses fail. And I wanted to be one of those one. I wouldn't be the one. And uh, it was tough, but uh, but we're here. And uh, now it's going pretty well. I love that. I love that. And for anybody listening, Chris, that might be like in this in this state, right, where they are be, you know, it's what do they call it? The golden handcuffs. Yep. The golden handcuffs. They got yep. the golden handcuffs. And, you know, they know they want to start something. But like, how do you do it? Right. So like, how did you break from that and come to the awareness of like, F this. <laughs> and I hear you. On, you know? and, and F is my favorite word. Uh, so yes. Uh, so I, um, I tell you what I did is I started to surround myself with other people who I wanted to be like, you know, they had their own businesses, either their families had started it or they started it themselves. And I just started, you know, grabbing coffee with them and going out, maybe getting a drink after work with them and, uh, you know, find them on the golf course or, or just find them in, you know, and when I could and just started talking to them about ideas and it's not the idea. I think it's more about the execution. And that's what I found was I built my business plan. I didn't make it for the A paper, man. I did it so I could figure out, was this thing actually going to work? You know, because in every business, number one, you've got to uh, come up with a unique selling proposition. You've got to market, you got to find out who your market is. You got to advertise to them. They got to come to you. You got to figure out how to convert them. Then you got to figure out how to provide the product or service for them. Right. Right. all that stuff wrapped together, I needed that because, again, I'm a pretty pretty hummingbird kind of guy. And I also was, uh, had a nine-to-five job, and it really wasn't nine-to-five. It was more like seven-to-seven. Seven. Uh, and I was doing this stuff all after hours trying to figure it out. And the business plan kept me on track. And then I also could show people, you know, hey, I went to a marketing guy. I said, hey, man, um, how would you market this kind of business? And he goes, wow, uh, here's what I would do. I would do this. I would do that. Went to an operations guy and said, you know, how would you scale uh, once you got started? And he said, well, this is how we did it. And I just kept picking up pieces like that. Again, not going for that perfect A paper. Yeah. And then I also, I put a target out there that on April 2nd of 2008, I was leaving come hell or high water because I had some options that were going to vest. Uh, I had a nest egg. My family, I had ramped on our savings for a year and a half to build up some savings. And then I had my levels of funding, uh, which thank God I'd never touched my retirement money. So if I can make it to 62, I'm all right. Now the odds of me making it there, a little low. <laughs> That's why I joke around, but yeah. <laughs> Wow. Oh my goodness. And so you, you gave yourself a timeline and basically surrounded yourself with the right people. And then how did you actually jump in? Did you quit right away and then start it or kind of start it? And as you were kind of like, cause I know people that do both. So I'd be interested to hear. This is a great question. So one of the things I, and I put this in my book that I was told is that uh, I said, man, I think I'm just going to keep my job at the bank because I'm making so much money and I'll just run this handyman business on the side. And the guy says, you know, if you're halfway in, you'll be all the way out. He said, you'll never make it happen. And he's right because with the recession, everything that happened, if I would have been able to keep my job, uh, which again, uh, I had transitioned at that point to uh, being the reporting guy and I was doing all of the reporting for our quarterly reports, so pretty cool. But I probably would have, he's he's right, I would have shelled it and probably not kept going. So I was all the way in. The funny story is, is I had built my marketing plan. I built my advertising strategy. I knew what I was going to do. One of the things I did was I advertised in the bulletin of our Catholic church that we went to, and I agreed to go. And I said, okay, sign up, do it, right? And um, April 2nd, I quit. And when I quit, my boss said, well, you, you can't leave me. We got to, can you, can you at least stay on for one month? So I did. But I forgot that I had told the bulletin to go. And so that Sunday, we're at church, 
And I'm looking, and in the back of the bulletin is the trusted toolbox for all your home repair needs, 770-623-3097. Guess what I didn't have? <laughs> I didn't have a phone to answer those calls. So I had to, right after church, grab the family, went to Best Buy, bought a phone, stuck it in my house where I had the line. I just didn't have the phone with the voicemail or the ability to transfer it to myself. <laughs> so, oh my God, that's hilarious. So I jumped in uh, full, yeah, full force. That's right. That is hilarious. Oh my God. I love that. And then it just started building up from there pretty much at that point, which is. Yeah, it was a slower build. It probably was a good thing in hindsight to start when you think a recession is going to happen, which here we are, you know, uh, talking in 23 and, you know, the odds are that, uh, and we're already starting to see the, the economy pull back a little bit. Some, uh, a lot of people say, you know, like a great, a lot of jobs or a lot of companies were started during COVID. So yeah. it, but my big thing for everybody is, is that, that the business plan, that helped me start my business, but that helped me keep my business because I went back to it every year and kept back looking at it, tweaking, figuring out what I could do, do a little bit different. And then, you know, a lot of times, like I said, it was just, maybe I should give this thing up. Maybe, I don't know, you know, and uh, it was tough. And I learned a lot about myself. I'm pretty optimistic. I'm pretty resilient or AKA hardheaded. And I just didn't want to give up on it. I didn't, I did. I felt like it would be a failure. Uh, looking back on it now, it's not a failure. It wouldn't have been a failure. You know, it would have been, uh, you could, you could plant the flag and say, you know, you, you, you did it. All right, go find another one and go find something else you could do and make it, make it better. So that's why I would say, go do it earlier, the better, especially when you're young and you don't have family and commitments. Cause I had built up, I had built up a family that was kind of addicted to cash flow. You know, I mean, mm. they were kids were in private school. We had a lot of activities going on. We went on really cool right. vacations and I had to pull all that back for a year. And we actually pulled back for about, about four years, really. And my wife kept her job and had a, had a great job. And so we lived off her uh, her income. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, because that, that's the thing, golden handcuffs, right? And, you know, kind of letting go of that and of that security, if you will. That's so interesting. So for you, you had mentioned you're like, I was super successful, but being around me was miserable at yeah. that point in time. It was. How did you come to that level of awareness there, right? Because some people continue that for their whole life, Chris. You know, like how how did you break free from that? Was there something that happened, or like how did you how did you get there? I really started to get jazzed up about the idea, and then when I got the family uh, bought into it, so my kids were younger, but my wife, who again, I I was making a a good bit of money. And I keep saying that because obviously money can't buy happiness, but it can buy you a boat, Chris Jansen, uh, <laughs> the country singer. But she said, well, you know, finally she read the business plan and she goes, all right, if you believe it and this is what you're thinking, then let's do it. Now, of course, my performance said I'd be breaking even in 16 months. I'd be making a million dollars in five years. Uh, here I am 15 years later and I'm guys, I'm not making a million dollars. I can promise you that, but I'm a lot happier now than I ever been uh, doing what I'm doing. So it was hard. I wouldn't say I was self-realized. Um, I was told that I was miserable to be around. And mm -hmm. I was also told that if this is going to make you happy and you think you can go do this, then why don't you go scratch the itch and go make it happen? And so we we had some plans and we had some failbacks uh, again on the money pretty much. And uh, today now I'm able to actually pull my weight as she says. <laughs> Love that, Chris. Thank you so much for for sharing that. It's always fascinating to hear, you know, how the transitions went and then, you know, these moments of, self-actualization and awareness of like, Hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And it's interesting how those come along, right? Because this perfect example of, you know, this is what society tells you that success is. 
deep down, you're not feeling that, right? Because it's miserable. Yeah, I think that's that's the big thing. And it's uh, one of those things that's easy to say, hard to execute because right. everybody says, well, you know, that's not what I, my definition of success is. I mean, you got to do it, man. You got to do that vision board. And if it's, if it's, you expect to have a private jet and a place on the beach, that's a, a you know, a $15 million house. If that's it, then man, write that down. But I will tell you, uh, if your definition of success is you got the, uh, that all the people reporting to you and you get those custom suits and the Mercedes and, and outwardly it looks great, but inwardly you're just kind of rotting. Uh, that's where you got to find out that you really aren't successful, man. You're just, you're just, you're doing what other people want you to do. And, and it's tough. It's really tough. And when you're rotten from the inside out, it, it starts to show itself. And that's what happened. Right. Right. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's truly, it's truly fascinating how society paints a certain picture. How do you almost like, and the, like the crazy part is, is like, how do you give that up? If you will. It was that, that part was hard. Um, and I would tell you, a lot of people say, uh, it will get, so my wife had a job. The family wasn't going to go under. I wasn't going to, um, I know I didn't remortgage the house. Okay. But I didn't touch retirement money. That was the agreement. I had built up the savings, uh, savings first, uh, mortgage the house second, um, use that to start the business and do all that. But she had a good job. And I will tell you, one of the things that happened is she felt like she was trapped and she was the breadwinner and felt like I was out there having this fool's folly, uh, trying to start a business. So the strain there became an extra different strain. And that's uh, that's a tough one because if I'm if I was the only income, then I would have had to give it up quickly uh, and probably gotten back to just you know bringing in income. But we had gotten it down pretty well. And like I said, it, it was it's tough. It is a tough call, which is why when I talk to younger people, if you got a great idea, that's one thing, you know, build a business plan and show me you can execute it, then do it. And I would my recommendation is if you can man, make it happen. You're 24, you're 25, you don't have kids, or you don't have a wife, you don't have a husband or whatever, and you can just do this and you can uh, see if it's going to fly. Man, yeah. it's the, the downside is you just have to go, oh, well, I can't make my, my rent payment or my house payment and I got to go back and get a job. Okay. Is that failure? Yeah. To a lot of people. Well, guess what, man? Nine out of 10 businesses don't make it. There's a lot of company there, my friends. So jump in, let's go, make it happen. But, but find out that Earlier on in life, I think it's still cool. Absolutely. Absolutely, Chris. I love that. I love that. And in building your businesses, you know, throughout these past 15 years, like what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? Well, it does. Obstacles uh, and lessons. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely lessons learned is, you know, you take in my business, it takes people to scale. I mean, I needed people, people. And um, I always felt and still do feel like I, I'm, a, I'm a good leader of people, but it is hard in this business that we're in. It's hard in every business uh, to scale up with good people and, and to do that. So that's always number one, making sure I had enough money to make it through. Uh, I had to have the funds. That was a big thing. Cause if I didn't have it, I, I mean, I had, I was at one point, I, I had uh, an American Express card. I was maxed out done. No more money left in the uh, mortgage on the loan done. And I was looking at not being able to make payroll. And then I would have really been done because people don't work for you for free. You know, mm -hmm. there are some stories out there that will, but in 15 years, I never missed payroll because I went running to get one check uh, from a lady who was holding out and I went and got it, got it from her at four o'clock, got to the bank at four twenty-five, got it in the bank and made payroll on Friday. Wow. So, and that was an inflection point. So uh, even after 15 years, uh, just as early as a year and a half ago, I had a cash flow issue where we got we were we just hadn't collected on some stuff. And people say, "Man, I can't wait to be in your position and I have to worry about cash." I'm like, "Brother, <laughs> it happens. 
still. And I'm still worried about it. So those are a lot of the lessons there. Cash is king. You got to get those, but you got to stay optimistic and you got to stay resilient. And that's the, that's the hard part. Solve those problems. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then cash flow is king, right? So that's the main reason why businesses fail is because financial forecasting, right? So it's like, if you aren't keeping up with your accounts receivable, accounts payable, and really having somebody on the books, like the numbers are everything. And it was the least favorite part of business for me. Yeah. thousand percent. It, it, it's it's not I hate doing it too I mean that's but that's why I have people doing it now and, and and we have controls in place so I can see exactly where we're at but I don't have to be the one making those phone calls although I do have to make a couple phone calls here coming up and again after 15 years I'm not as involved as I used to be in the business uh now I do a lot more of the training which is why we developed the home service Institute training uh is that we're really focused on that and building the skills in our in our teams uh to make sure that they can do it but I'm still involved in the day-to-day yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you branch out from your business? So like kind of scaling it, starting the handyman business and kind of now expanding into the Institute. And then we can get into your book as well. Love to hear some more details on that. Yeah. What what I realized uh, is so as I built the business, I also built the process and uh, we have an operations manual. And today I have 44 employees. And what they do is we have a handyman division and we have a remodeling division. Yeah. And then we also have a division in Athens, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half away from here uh, to prove that we can run a remote operation as well. So I've got a manager and an employee up there, and we're hoping to get scaled up to three or four here pretty shortly. But we realized we were in the training business because that's where we focus. I have a real um, I have a real passion for training, and I realize building skills in your team is uh, allows you freedom, allows me freedom yeah. for time, allows me a freedom from not having to deal with some of the nuances. In fact, they joke that... Right. The uh, business runs a lot better when I'm not there and I'm on a podcast with you. <laughs> so, I love that. So they're enjoying this, that, that I don't have my phone on me and going, or I'm not sitting in the office going after them. Oh my God. I love that. Well, I mean, cause you're in the construction industry, which is one of the toughest ones. And I mean, I have seen, I've been in development for 10 years now and licensed general contractor myself. I have seen the inefficiencies, operational inefficiencies and like how terrible subcontractors are with their money, with their budgeting, with it's like, they're like paying Paul, they're paying Sam to pay Paul to like, it's just like the craziest thing ever. So what are some myths that you can bust on the industry and what are some valuable lessons that you've learned? Because what you're doing is to find success in the construction industry is definitely something to be honored. <laughs> ah, thank you. I like that. But I would tell you that you actually hit on one thing, subcontractors. So how many times have we heard, can't make it today, my car broke down? Oh. If I if if I knew that there were all those cars were broken down, I'd have an automotive shop right now because I'd be in I'd be in just in business. But I think we all know that that's really not always the truth. Um, so, yeah, what you have to do, you have to make it so that they want to work with you and they want to continue to work with you. So with our guys, the subs we use in the remodeling side, now I have employees on the handyman side, and I did that. And it's an expensive model. It costs more. We're one of the higher priced handyman companies out there, but I can also control the quality. So mm-hmm. with employees, you can have control. With subcontractors, you can still have some control. But what you found is that these guys just don't have the same business mindset. You just brought that up. They, they don't have cash as king. They have cash as king to go to the bar that night. They have cash as king to go, maybe go buy something they shouldn't be or go out there and buy that big new truck. Because uh, if you look at my truck and look at some of my subcontractor's truck, you'll see why I've been at it for 15 years and I'm all right. 
uh, because I buy a new one, but then I move it into the fleet. But all of mine are utility vehicles. So, I mean, I have a pickup truck and you see some of these other ones. So there are good trades out there. And what's funny is that we keep saying nobody, there's nobody in the trades. They're all aging out. Well, I found an article and the article said the same thing. And the article was written in 1968. So this isn't changing. It's just part of what we have. Well, it's fascinating because it's an industry that like you can pretty much walk into six figures if you go in full time. Yeah. Without a degree. Like you could, you walk in, you don't you don't drop six figures to go get a degree. You get right. you get paid to learn, and then you come out and you can be an HVAC technician. You can be a plumber. You can be an electrician. My carpenters do very well. Uh, not quite six yeah. figures, uh, but uh, it's there, and they are allowed to you know use their brain and use their uh, mindset. And then you look out, and today they're you know outside working outside, not sitting in some cubicle thinking about how they can just crush that computer because they're so miserable. So these guys love being out there, and that's. That's a really cool thing. And that's what I really play to them. One of our core principles is be an artist today. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because it's all about the craft, right? If you're passionate about it, you'll, you'll absolutely love it. I love that, Chris. I love that. And so tell me a little bit about your book too, without spoiling it too much, because I want people to go out there and get it, but fill me in on that. Yeah, so it's called From the Zoo to the Wild, Your Guide to Entrepreneurial Freedom and Wealth. And it starts out with me and I was in the zoo. Uh, I was getting fed those bananas and I was feeling good and I was making all that money and I I came to the realization when I saw a gorilla in a zoo and I was taking my kids through to show him off. And and you look at him, he's in this four-walled concrete and plastics uh, glass cell. And I went, wow, you're this big, tough. And I call him the king of the jungle, even though I know it's a lion. But I, I sat walking away going, ha, look at that poor thing. And I went, oh my God, I am that poor thing. So I talk about my journey of how I built my business plan and, and lessons learned, a lot of stories in there. It's a, it's a pretty, what I've, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. It's a pretty easy read. I'd say it's a great compliment. A book for somebody looking to start or scale a business. Yeah. Uh, it is, of course, geared to the home service industry, but there are, I think, lessons, and I call them the gold nuggets coming out of there because one of the concepts I have in the book is that I go hire wolves, and they're lone wolves, and they're used to doing work on their own, and they're not used to working for a guy or a company or a, or a person. And so when I bring them in, I have to tell them that we're inviting you into our wolf pack. And mm. in your wolf pack, you can do better, but we still expect you to do the same things you were doing before. And taking right. care of business. And so we talk about that and how that and that's how the Home Service Institute was started, was really helping to train your lone wolves and make them part of your wolf pack. I love that. The wolf pack. I yeah. Lisa, love- the bravado, the and, and I have had some handy women over the years, but most of my most of my employees are men. Well, in the office I have a number of ladies, but love that, Chris. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that. And I love all the nuggets that you've dropped too. And and I've got to ask you, this is like my favorite question, honestly. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? It could be business, yeah. personal, anything like that. Speak Do it earlier. Nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> Start it. Take that chance early on. I, I had an idea for a different business completely when I was 24 coming out of grad school. And uh, looking back on it now, I, I should have taken a shot. I didn't know everything, but knowing what I know now, I would have told myself, go out there and find it. Um, the internet had not really been very well developed at all. This is 1996, right? 94, yeah. 90, I'm sorry, 94. So there was no such thing as the internet. I was working on the first version, by the way, of uh, email, uh, because wow. in our, in our grad schools, we were going back and forth Whoa. between peoples in England and Germany. And we were using the thing called, uh, we had, we had email addresses, they were dot edus, um, and you had messages yeah. that you could go back and forth and trade. So we had all these things sitting in front of me, all these great ideas, all these awesome things. And guess what I took advantage of? 
none of it. <laughs> so I would say, go back there, man. Take a look. Keep your eyes open and find those mentors and, and find that flock early on of people who are like-minded and you might be able to find a business and, and maybe make a run out of it and becomes a multi-million dollar business. And maybe, maybe it just doesn't happen. And maybe you don't even get to sell. You just got to shut it down. You learned and you can go on and you did all right. Love that, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing that, my friend. I love it. I love it. I, and I always like, I always say, I'm like, man, and this is me complaining about dial up internet and like having the text on the T9s and here you are, you're like, I worked on the first version of email humbles me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was staring, it was staring right at me, but no, I didn't look at that. No, I'm not going to go make parts. <laughs> yeah. A lot of great ideas sitting right in front of me. And I just, uh, I look back on it now. I, I love it uh, that we do it. And, but, but I'm trying to keep my eyes open now with all this, because obviously we're just shifting so quickly and we always will. AI. That's not going to slow down. AI, I mean, yep. What, so what do you think, in your opinion, is going to be the future of AI when it comes to like construction and the trades and all of that? What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm like, I feel like there's going to be so much integration and it's it's literally like shifting stuff by the day. There's new apps coming out every single friggin' day. Like I saw one with the interior designers. You send a picture of a room into AI and it automatically like recreates and does like the remodeling for you visually. Have you seen that? I've heard of that one. It's funny you should say that. I just Scary. heard of that yesterday. Yep. Scary. So you upload the photo of whatever it is that you want to remodel and it shows you like a remodeled version and it's sick. And I was like, dang, what is this going to do for interior designers? You know? Right. So like, I, well, what do I, think, you think? I think you're onto something there. I, I agree with you. I think uh, the home service industry in general will start a consolidate. It's already had happened in HVAC. Uh, it's going to start a consolidation trend in all the major metros because right now in our world uh, that we are, you know, you know, I'm not going to get into the boomer Gen X millennial Gen Z thing. Everybody is going to more outsourcing of things around their house, fixing things, remodeling things. Yeah. Um, it's an outsource model and it will continue because people realize they can take their money and take their time and their happiness and not have to deal with a drywall repair that takes you all weekend. So yeah. I think the consolidation and that's going to come in the form of automation of request taking, automation of uh, information giving. And if you're not in the forefront of that, if you're just going to kind of play off sticky notes and just go word of mouth because all you got me where I'm at and you're going to be left behind. And that's what's, uh, I think that's going to be big. There'll always be room for the one individual young, you know, or, or one, that one lone wolf. Uh, but in general, what's going to happen is if you're not part of a bigger team in a major Metro, uh, you're probably going to get squeezed out if you're in the middle. Right. Get wiped out. That's so fascinating to hear. I mean, because the trades will always be the trades. You always need the hands, but you know, what things that are coming out, now, like manufactured housing and shipping home containers and tiny homes and all of that stuff, which is my arena of what I'm stepping into next. I'm like, oh man, you guys better get ready because when these factories are laying these things out, I think that's almost like a consolidation. Like what you said, I feel like it's going to be working smarter, not harder kind of thing. Instead of taking, you know, a year, year and a half for a site to be built from the ground up, you know, you just have it ready and dropped and boom. The, I think that's where the world is. Yeah. In terms of construction, you know, and it's like staying ahead of that, people. You heard it here first. <laughs> that's right. That's good stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's what's going to happen because uh, getting squeezed out in the middle means um, you you'll go for your friend's recommendation for a, a handy person or a a remodeler. But what's going to happen? The more and more, you're still going to go check. Right, you're going to go to that big AI in the sky called Google. 
which, by the way, I don't think they actually have any people working there. I just think it's this one big AI amoeba because uh, you can't ever get anybody to talk to you from Google. But but there's, you're still going to check, right? And you're going to go right. out there, but you're going to get your information. And there, as you get your information, you're going to have, if you're not out there and being present as a company and a person noted as a, an expert in that area giving information, you won't be found and you won't be verified and validated and you're going to get passed up. And that's right. where bigger companies with more tools behind them and the ability to say, look, we do HVC, we do electrical, we do plumbing, we do remodeling services, we do landscape, we do pest control, we do all these different things around your home. You're going to start going to those people because mm -hmm. they're, they're considered the thought leaders or that, well, you know, it's just easy. Now I can pick them and just say, go. Right. Right. It's so fascinating to see where things are going though. Honestly, my goodness. I'm like intrigued to see what happens next in all different realms, right? And how it helps spark more entrepreneurship and automation and, and things like that. And speaking of the future, Chris, what's up in your world in the next few months? What's going on? Well, I just launched my website called chrislalamia.com uh, where um, I've been at this for 15 years at the Trusted Toolbox. I think I'll stay involved with the Trusted Toolbox, but kind of my next career, because I can't stay uh, still, yeah, is uh, we're going to get the Home Service Institute uh, up and running and going a little bit harder. So we're going to be uh, going focused on that and growing our, our current business because we're looking to double this year and we're on track, which is uh, pretty cool. But uh, setting up the crystalalamia.com brand out there and get that going because eventually I would like to be involved in uh, some speaking for different groups and, and talking to them. And then also I'm probably going to start leading up some mastermind groups here uh, in 24. Love that. Love that, Chris. Oh my goodness. I'm excited to see how all of that pans together. And I think the Institute's going to be, especially in this day and age where you said like a lot of those going to be a lot of consolidation. I think it's going to be more needed more than ever, that type of education to scale appropriately in in the trades given the you know given the landscape that we've got out there so love that love that my friend and where can everyone reach you and your awesomeness well you can always find my website chrislalamia.com i'm chrislalamia on linkedin but i am the customer service dot freak on instagram if you want to go follow that we put some good in content out there for that and if you're here in atlanta uh obviously the trusted toolbox is around but you can always go out there and uh and find out everything there and you can find the book on amazon as well love it chris thank you so so much for being here today dropping all these nuggets and gems and you just sharing your story in general you are amazing my friend thank you all right. I enjoyed it. Good luck with uh, everything that's upcoming in your world too, as well. So sneak peek for everybody. Lots <laughs> of changes happening. Loving it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is all the time, working like some underdogs. Underdog.